everyone, and welcome to episode six of season four of Psychological. Psychological is a podcast that started during lockdown and it aims to make an evidence-based contribution to conversations about child and adolescent well-being, development and learning, and neurodiversity. I'm Dr. Lou Thomas, your podcast host. I'm neurodivergent, so I'm autistic and I have ADHD. And today I'm speaking to Dr. Susie Sapiets. Susie is also autistic and she has lived experience of mental health issues. Susie is a postdoctoral research associate at the Tizard Centre, the University of Kent, who specialises in autism, learning disabilities and improving access to support. She's on the phone with me today to talk about one of her recent papers, Families Access to Early Intervention and Supports for Children with Developmental Disabilities. Hello, Susie. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the podcast. That's all right. I'm really excited to speak to you. We're good. Mm -hmm. So we'll jump in straight into the kind of paper stuff. And first off, we'll start with what you found. So would you be able to tell me what you discovered in this piece of research? Yeah. So um, in this research, we explored services and supports for young neurodiverse children and their families access in the UK. Um, so we found that neurodiverse children and their families access support from a range of different professionals and services across education, health and social care. But there was lots of variation in their experiences of access to support. Um, so some of the key findings, um, supports accessed the most were paediatricians, speech and language therapists and GPs. Um, and 75% of parents reported an unmet need for support from one or more professionals. And the most common professionals they wanted support from were occupational therapists, educational psychologists and professionals from the team that assess special educational needs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and mental health professionals, social workers and professionals that assess special educational needs were also rated the least easy to access by those who had accessed them. Yeah. Okay. Um, and parents also told us um, what made access to support easy or difficult for their family and neurodiverse child. Um, and many said that limited capacity of services such as long waiting lists and limited funding made accessing support difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and in contrast, contact with professionals that were supportive and knowledgeable um, was reported by most as helping their family access support. Perfect. Yeah, that's, that's quite a lot of findings, isn't it, from one paper? Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to trickle them down into just yeah. a few it's yeah. a very diverse topic. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, what motivated you to study the topic as well? Well, as you know, neurodivergence includes things like autism, learning disabilities, developmental delays, ADHD, and so on. So although they're diverse, they often share common characteristics such as difficulties or differences related to general development, cognitive and adaptive skills, communication, interaction, motor coordination, sensory perception and sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, And unfortunately, neurodiverse children and their families also experience a range of physical health, mental health and social inequalities. Mm -hmm. For example, neurodiverse children are more likely to have co-occurring physical mental health conditions like epilepsy, diabetes, Mm -hmm. anxiety or depression. And they're also more likely to be subjected to restrictive interventions, such as being physically restrained by others, secluded or being given an appropriate medication, often in response to behaviours that others find challenging, like self-injury, aggression or running away. Mm -hmm. 
And parents of neurodiverse children are also more likely to be stressed and have mental health problems. And research has found that many families have psychological trauma just because of the difficulties they've had accessing support for their child. Um, so obviously, it's really important that we support neurodiverse children and their families um, from an early age so that they can benefit um, from the youngest possible age, from any needs that arise, either as a result of being neurodivergent or living in a world that isn't always appropriate or inclusive for neurodivergent people. Yeah, so it's, I guess it's really important to find out like where the support is lacking and how support can be better accessed. That's really important, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and unfortunately, um, neurodiverse children and their families don't always get access to support. Mm. Yeah. And certain yeah. things can make it difficult for families to access support. Yeah. And before we did this study, we didn't know what support families in the UK were currently accessing, if they had unmet needs um, and what sort of things helped or made it difficult for them to get access to support. And so obviously knowing this is really important because we can use it to improve the support that's provided and help people access support from yeah. earlier yeah, kind of building upon the knowledge that you've got already about what's going right and what's going wrong is, yeah, important baseline yeah. knowledge, <laughs> which is really good. Yeah. How did you do the study? So we created a survey to ask parents about their family's experience of accessing support for their neurodiverse child. Mm -hmm. So we asked about their access to a range of professionals and services and also support programmes. Mm -hmm their unmet need for support, their ease of access to support and things that had made it difficult or easier to access support. So we posted the survey on social media and also sent it to lots of organisations that work with families of neurodiverse children, mm -hmm. such as charities and schools. Yeah. Um, and it took around 30 minutes for people to complete and was available online or a physical copy that was sent in the post based on the preference. Yeah. Um, and overall, we had 673 parents um, of neurodiverse children aged between 0 and 6 years who completed the survey, mm. most of which were the child's mother, and they all lived in the UK, but mostly in England. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, among the children, the most common neurodivergence was autism, also special educational needs, learning disability and developmental delay. And they were all at different stages of identification. So some had been diagnosed, whereas others were being assessed or on a wait list for assessment. And more than half of the children also had a physical health condition, such as a mobility problem, visual impairment, impairment, he hearing impairment or epilepsy. Did you look at whether there were kind of like differences in how... Um, how easy it was for people to access to support like depending on where they were in the pathway like what point of diagnosis they were at did you look into that as well? We didn't at this point um, in this study but in a subsequent study we did look um, into if having um, received a diagnosis helped access support yeah or hope it did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you never know <laughs> yeah okay that's really interesting yeah how did you analyze the data all that data that you got out that's a lot of data it sounds like you had for all those people 
Yeah, we had, you know, very, very in-depth data. Um, so most of it was descriptive, um, which basically means we looked at patterns of access across the sample. So looking at how many people accessed a specific support that was listed in the survey, because overall there are 49 specific services and supports we'd asked about. Mm-hmm. But we also had some open ended questions mm-hmm. um, where people could list other things. Yeah. OK. Um, and we also looked at, um, you know, what types of supports were most reported as an unmet need by families who hadn't accessed that support. Right. And um, based on those who had accessed some supports, how they were rated as easy or not easy to access. Mm. OK. We did have some more interesting analysis in there, which um, was for... Um, the open-ended questions on what made it easy or more difficult to access support. So we use something called framework analysis for this. And this um, involves sort of reading all of the responses on what had made access easy, which we were, were looking at in terms of things that were facilitators of access or what made things difficult, which was barriers of access. Um, and then we organize, organized the responses based on was it to do with the barrier or a facilitator of access? And then we grouped it, it, whether it was to do with something within the family, within services or sort of a mixture of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just sort of, sort of helps organize the data. And then you sort of go through it again within the categories to then sort of code it so that we can bring things together that are very similar where people are describing the same sort of things Mm. Uh, and then we can use this to sort of give an overall count of how many times parents reported something Mm. um, that was the same across different participants Um, in other words to sort of identify the barriers of facilitators that were the most frequently experienced across the participants. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. I was going to say with, with open-ended questions for that much data, doing like a thematic analysis or something would have taken ages. <laughs> yeah, I don't not actually um, heard of. Well, I think I've heard of it, but I've never sort of seen someone do it or heard someone talk about a framework analysis. It's probably really interesting for listeners as well because a lot of people might not have heard about that. So that's really cool. Yeah. It is a really useful way of um, organizing data because you can use either an, uh, um, a framework that's been identified already or you can develop your own um, and it's mainly to help organise the data so that you can go through it um, in a more manageable way yeah. um, because with 673 participants it's quite a, a large data set. It is. Yeah it's a great it's a great sample like to get such a good big sample is really good but it, yeah it does mean that then you've just got loads of data to sort out which is always a lot of work. But yeah, um, what next? Next question. Overall, what do you think we can learn from this study? How can we kind of apply it maybe in the real world? What comes out of it? So it's a little bit hard to cover everything that was explored in the study. But um, in the report, we do discuss potential reasons why some supports were accessed by more families than others. And also um, our specific findings around ease of access and perceptions of unmet need, where we've sort of grouped into different sort of um, service groups. Mm. But in terms of like more practical, what can we learn from this? Well, 
clearly the support system in the UK is quite complex and services often just don't work together. Mm. Um, and so access is therefore not straightforward and families find it difficult often having to sort of like fight to access support that their child is legally entitled to. Yeah. And that obviously raises concerns about equity if access is based on the parent's ability to advocate for support. Mm. Um, so practical things for parents. I guess the key take home messages for them is to connect with other parents and seek support from family or friends, as this helped those in our study access support, either from sharing information or giving you know, practical support. Mm. Um, Another thing was having knowledge on services and government legislation helped. Um, and there are quite a few charities out there that can provide information and support to help families with this. Um, for example, Cerebra have a toolkit that's available online called Accessing Public Services that could be useful to help equip families for the fight. Nice. Yeah, it's a fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of things for professionals, a few things they could do is um, improving their engagement styles, um, listening to families, referring them for support, um, sharing information on what services are available and how they can access them, and also connecting with other professionals and services to provide sort of more joined up support. Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, it's clear that a wider system change is needed. So things like simplifying our processes to access support, coordinating services, um, examining what service coverage we have um, and requirements people need to, to get services to ensure that there aren't people who are falling through the gaps mm -hmm. and ultimately increasing government investment in early support services yeah, so good. yeah pu policy and public health has quite a lot to do in terms of making sure these unmet needs um don't continue yeah. um but yeah i mean research, research like this is really important to inform things like that as well because they kind of do need evidence that of how things are potentially going wrong or what things can be better and how people feel about the services that they're accessing in order to be actually actually be able to make those changes so it is really important research yeah definitely yeah because we can't improve access if there is inadequate capacity of services to support all neurodiverse children and their families that's cool. yeah 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 so that's something we need to 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 fight yes fight. <laughs> definitely so where were you where are you going with this research next have you got plans to continue on with this same line of research to further the project yeah, so um, after this study, we actually completed another study using the same data set where we explored um, factors that were associated with access or non-access to support. Mm -hmm. um, so in this one, we used multiple regression models where we fitted um, data from the sample uh, based on various different variables um, and just sort of looked at what was independently significant at predicting outcomes of access, non-access and unmet need. Ah, that sounds very interesting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we found that multiple factors influenced access to support yeah. and um, hopefully the results of that will be published soon, which will help um, help us with, with the fight to, to get 
government to sort of change the way support is provided and to make sure that we don't have disparities and access based on 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 different factors yeah, yeah sounds, i'm really looking forward to reading that one as well i mean i guess it'll be quite sobering reading but i'm really looking forward to reading that yeah. so definitely but if it's still around tweet it out when it's about i don't know what's happening with twitter but hopefully it'll still be about so if you can tweet it we'll see how that goes and yeah that was really interesting thank you so much for talking to me about the paper i really enjoyed hearing about it i'm sure the listeners will enjoy hearing about it too um final question sort of moving on from the paper related questions now the last one that i ask everyone is there's probably some early career researchers and students that are listening in so do you have any advice or is there anything that you would like to say to them yeah um so i think um this was part of my phd research and something that i'm quite interested in personally so what i would say is if you're going to be doing research try and do it on something that you're really interested in Mm. um as doing research can be quite a long process and there can be quite a few challenges along the way um things like designing the survey recruiting enough participants and analyzing the data Mm. Um, but if you're interested in you know developing understanding on the topic and making people's lives better it really helps um enormous enormous enormously (laughs) um yeah so yeah I'm neurodivergent and I've got neurodivergent siblings Mm -hmm. and I've also worked with neurodiverse children who didn't get access to appropriate support when they were young um so I know sort of the impact of not getting support um and also I was only diagnosed with autism when I was 26 and you know when access to me what could have changed things yeah. <laughs> I was 27 when I got my diagnosis yeah. similar <laughs> quite similar so, yeah definitely so I think it's you know it, it is useful if you've got sort of like a personal interest in what you're doing um, and also, if there are other neurodivergent people listening, another useful thing that might be to know is that um, there's a lot of support um, for people who are doing research who are neurodivergent. So I, as I was doing my PhD for this research, I got support from the disability team at the university and had like regular mental health mentoring, which is, you know, really helpful for me to do the research. Um so that might be something that's that's worth people looking into if they you know want to do it but they think they might struggle or mm-hmm. if they're struggling at the moment um there is support out there um yeah. and i know there's the access to work scheme as well if if you know you're post um if yeah. you're not a student <laughs> yeah that's true yeah yeah generally people are well not generally but there is quite a lot of support available isn't there so hopefully people are able, able to access it finding it isn't it, it just finding it knowing about it finding it <laughs> sometimes there's a lot of admin involved in finding yeah. it as well which isn't necessarily that great for for me for ADHD but <laughs> sometimes there's a lot of admin there but yeah all really good advice so yeah do what you love and if you need support access it because it's there yeah. <laughs> Bad advice. thank you very much um, and yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, everyone, all the listeners for joining us as well. You can find out more about Susie and her work by following the links in the podcast description on Sprout or in your podcast app. And join us again at the same time next week for another episode of Psychological. Bye. Bye. Bye.